As you take your seat, would you turn to Revelation chapter 5, if you have your copy of God's Word with you. We'll be in Revelation chapter 5 as our pastor is taking a few days away with family for the holidays. And uh, we want to spend these few moments today looking at these few verses. In fact, we'll look at the entire chapter today of Revelation 5. And you know, we started this several weeks ago as we were looking at Advent, and we started uh, back in November, actually, looking at Genesis chapter 3 and walking through all of Scripture, looking in the Old Testament, then looking into Matthew 1 and John chapter 1. And now today, we're going to end in Revelation chapter 5 at seeing how all things will end, looking at the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lamb of God, as we just sang about in so many different ways, looking at Christ. Today. So if you have your copy of God's Word open to Revelation 5, would you please stand in honor of the reading of His Word? We'll begin reading in verse 1. We'll read down through verse 10 for right now, and then we'll end our time together reading the last few verses today. But we'll, beginning in, we'll begin in Revelation 5, verse 1. The Word of God says, Then I saw in the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David has conquered and so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl of full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask today that as we gather as your church, you would help us to see into Revelation 5 and give us a glimpse of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would allow us as exiles and sojourners here on this earth to see the one who at the very end will make all things right. Give us great comfort in that today and help us to live faithfully as you've called us to. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Now, all of us in here have an ideal, a perfect amount of sleep that you need every single night. As I say it, you probably have a number in your head. It might be eight hours. For some of you, it might be nine or ten hours that you like to sleep. Some go the other way. You need about five hours and that you're settled. You don't need much more. But you have in your mind an amount of sleep that you need on a nightly basis to feel good the next day. Then right below that, you have an amount that you can manage with. Take about an hour or two off, you can deal with that. It's not, you're not at your optimal condition, but you can go with that amount of sleep. But then right below that is the line. I don't know if you know what this line is for you. Uh, for me, it goes into the fours and threes. And if I have that amount of sleep for multiple nights in a row, I start to feel it. I start to get tired. I start to wonder when the next time I can go back to sleep. It's hard to get out of bed in the morning. I start thinking ahead. And I, I don't know if you've had this for a few straight days. Maybe you worked an extra shift at work. Maybe you have extra time. You have to be doing something. And you're pressing and pressing. And what you know, at the end of it all, and maybe you had this over the holidays, at the end of it all, there's a day or a night or an afternoon you get to rest. There's a nap or a particular Saturday morning, whatever it is for you, you know at the end of that season of pressing and going on as little sleep as possible, you can rest. And what gets you through the days and what wakes you up in the, the morning, you know, I'm gonna get up today because I know that in a couple days, I can rest. Now maybe you come in here today and you're tired, maybe not physically, but you're tired in other ways. The quarantine has given you anxiety, or if you're an extrovert, the quarantine has made you lonely because you can't see anybody. Maybe, maybe you come in here today and you've lost someone this year, and you're just tired. The holidays were hard, Christmas was hard, and you're tired. Maybe it's just simply as the holidays went through, you have family relationships or friendships, and they're just wearing you down. But you find yourself in a season, just like I was describing before, tired, looking for some rest. Whatever you're tired of, the curse of sin has made us tired. The book of Revelation, as we get to Revelation 5, the book of Revelation is written to a group of persecu persecuted and tired Christians. If you, if you read through Revelation, you'll, we'll see it a little bit today as you go in and out of the chapters and most people get wrapped up in these prophecies and they see these big grand things that are gonna going to happen. But you'll see it woven in there. The, the book is for the persecuted church as a hope of a rest coming in the future. See, Christians find great hope in their future with Christ. Christians find great hope in their future with Christ. So today, what we want to do with this Revelation 5 is exactly what it was meant to do for the believers that read it early on. It's meant for us today. That as we struggle through the sinful, broken world that we're in, 
Revelation 5 is meant to be the hope that there is a rest and there is one who is coming to make all of it right. There is one who will one day fix every broken thing. So here's, a, I just want to give you three things to look forward to, to hope in, to trust as we look to Christ. So here's the first one as we look towards the end. We hope in his plan for the end. We hope in his plan for the end. You see that the Lord has a plan, not just for the beginning of time, not just for how he's going to save you now. He has a plan for how he's going to end his whole entire salvation plan for your life. That plan is revealed, most of it, in the book of Revelation. You can see what's going to happen ahead. And one of the major focal points of even mentioned a couple times in the book, but really of chapter 5, is a scroll. If you have your Bible there, look at verse 1 with me. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll. So in chapter 4, we saw the, the Lord God sitting on his throne. He's at the center of this great moment of worship. We move into chapter 5. Now we have the Lord on the throne. And now we focus in on his right hand. The hand of power, the hand of blessing. And in his hand is this scroll. The picture here is not of one of a gripped, tight hand, but one which there's an open hand waiting for someone to come and open this scroll. Now, the, the scroll, uh, there's a little bit of debate about it, actually what the physical scroll might look like. But there are some things we can learn about it from the text. I'd say just a couple. You see it there at the very end of the, the verse. This scroll is written, it says, within and on the back, and it's sealed. So, so the first part there, it's written on front and back, meaning the, the scroll is detailed, it's double-sided. What's found in the scroll is thorough. So the plan God has for the future is not just a few bullet points. God has this thing well laid out. He knows exactly what he's going to do. The scroll is also sealed. It's got seven different seals on it. We'll find in chapter six following this, we'll see what happens when these seals are broken. But this seal holds in some content that we that a person can't open or cannot look in it because the seal holds it together. So then the question must be posed, what, what's in this scroll? Like what's actually written on this scroll? It, some have called it the scroll of destiny. Inside of the contents of this scroll are how God's going to work out his judgment and his redemption of all of mankind at the end. That's what we're going to see when the, when the scroll comes open. This is how God is going to judge his enemies and those who stood against him. And he's going to redeem those who are his people. That's the contents of the scroll. And so we get a glimpse of it in the book of Revelation. We don't see it all. Now think with me for a minute. Here's God himself throne in heaven, holding this scroll that contained the contents of what's going to happen at the end of time. Now, when do you think God decided what he was going to do? 
Even you might could say, when did he write this stuff down? When was this scroll decided on? Do you think God was kind of like a coach at halftime as Jesus was on the cross and he's thinking, okay, I got Jesus there now. How am I going to finally defeat Satan? And he comes in the locker room and he draws up a new game plan. Do you think God was like a story writer who wrote the first part of the story and got halfway through and thought, you know, I got to figure out how I'm going to finish this thing. Or do you think God himself, before the foundation of the world, before we even fell, when he walked in the garden and he said, let me tell you how I'm going to crush the head of the serpent, he knew from the very beginning what the contents of this scroll would be. So the comfort we have as Christians, no matter what world we face today, that this scroll was already decided how he was going to save us, redeem us, and how he was going to make things right. Because one of the big challenges for the Christians here is they see people persecuted for their faith. They see people turning on Christians and they wonder, God, when are you going to stand up for us? And the Bible says, I'm coming. That's what we see in Revelation. The Lord will make things right. But, the, but there's a problem. This scroll is sealed and we don't know who can open it. Look at verse 2. The drama plays out here in chapter 5, verse 2. I saw a mighty angel. Could have been an archangel. We don't know who it was. But this mighty angel, and listen to what he's saying. He's proclaiming with a loud voice, saying, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? So ask the question, and then the question's answered here in the text. Look at verse, six, verse 3. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll to look into it. So nobody in heaven, but he goes all the way down, nobody on the earth, no created being, and even goes down to heaven and hell to say there is no being that's able to open this scroll. And the drama takes another level. Look at verse 4. John, who's the writer of Revelation, reacts to the moment. He said, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to look into it. John begins to, to cry. And not just like tearing up kind of crying. This is the kind of deep pain, loud cry that comes up and comes out loudly. This is a sobbing, uncontrollable, despair-like cry. The same words used when Jesus cries over Jerusalem, when Peter cries over his betrayal or his denial of Jesus. This is, this is him desperate, wondering about this opening of the scroll. Now, why, why, is he, why is he crying? You might ask that question. Is it because he somehow feels like Isaiah does, that he's unworthy? And so he feels the worthiness and he's like, I can't open it? Now, I don't think that's why he's crying. I think he's crying because he knows if the scroll can't be opened, then there's no hope of anybody ending the way things are right now. He knows that we are stuck where we're at with this scroll shut. So these tears are the tears of an incomplete plan of God not happening. So to trace these tears all the way back, let's go back into your Bible. These are the same tears that you might find an Israelite 
that's held captive in Egypt, waiting on God to deliver his people cry. These are the same tears you might feel of a, a person who is in exile in Babylon that's been taken away from Jerusalem, desiring to be brought back to his home. These might be the same tears you might see of somebody in the 400 years of silence waiting on Jesus to come, desiring for God to move. And then into the New Testament, what we feel here and even to today, these are the tears of martyred, persecuted saints saying, God, when are you going to come and make this thing right? How long are you going to let this world turn on you and leave it like it is? And I would carry it even farther to mine and your tears when we feel the brokenness of this world and we long for it to be fixed. You want something to make it right. We search all kinds of places to fill the void, but nothing quite seems to make this world satisfied. And so there's this looking for who might can open the scroll. Who can make this right? And the narrative turns to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is worthy. So the second thing I want to show you is that we trust in his person for the end. We trust in his person for the end. So not only do we look to his plan, but there is a person for the end. There are three persons of the Trinity, three persons of God. We've seen God the Father on the throne here. Now we're about to see the Lamb, God the Son, enter the picture. We'll even, I'll show you here in a moment, a glimpse of God the Spirit that's even in this passage. But now we're going to see the person of Jesus Christ enter on center stage. Let's look what happens here. Look at the answer that happens to him. He's crying. Where's the answer? Who's going to open the scroll? Verse 5. And one of the elders said to me. So an elder from around the throne steps over, looks at John, and look what he says to him. Weep no more. Do you, do you hear that today? I, if we were to just personalize that for a minute for you. If you're groaning through the struggle of sin in this life, wondering when something's going to come, this elder looks at John and says, weep no more. The, the weeping can stop because of what you're about to see. And so I want to I do something here as we look at verses 5 and 6. They're a key part of the narrative. But I want to show you verse 6, a little bit of it, and then we'll walk through both of them. Notice how central Christ is on the stage here. Verse 6. And between, here comes the lamb, between the throne, the four living creatures, and the elders, I saw a lamb standing. So here comes, in the midst of this glorious throne room of God himself, in the middle of it now stands the lamb, the one worthy to open the scroll. So how, how is he worthy? Verse 5 and 6 give us several things. I want to give you four words that help you understand why Jesus is worthy to open this scroll. First one is prophecy. Why is he worthy to do this? There's two titles given here of prophecy from the Old Testament. Notice them there, right there in uh, verse 5. Weep no more, he says, behold, 
the lion of the tribe of Judah, and the root of David. Two titles. I don't know if you noticed this. We just sang it in a couple of songs we just sang. We talked about the lion of the tribe of Judah. We talked about the root of David. We're, we're singing these titles. The lion of the tribe of Judah comes from Genesis 49, where Israel, Jacob, the father of, a, of the whole nation, he has a son named Judah, and he will prophesy through that son there's a lion cub, as he'll talk about it, that will one day grow into be the, to being the lion of the tribe of Judah, meaning that Christ is a descendant of Judah. Now that's, why, that's why Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy when he comes from the line of Judah. But the line also goes through David. Notice what it says. He's the root of David. We read this verse at Christmas from Isaiah 11, verse 1, where it calls it the stump of Jesse, who is David's father. And from that will come the Savior, Christ the Lord. So when it says, this one is worthy to open the scroll, it's because he comes from Judah. He's a true Israelite. He's a true king because he's a descendant of the king David. And so we know by prophecy, he is the one worthy to open the scroll. We also know by victory. It says he has conquered. That means he has defeated sin and death. All the way back to Genesis 3 when it said he would crush the serpent on the head. We see at the very end, he is the one who has defeated sin and death. Now I want to give you a third word, sacrifice. We're going to spend a moment looking at this lamb. I read it to you a moment ago, but look at it again in verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. So let's talk about the imagery of a lamb. We sing a lot about the lamb of God and think a lot on what it means to be the lamb of God. In the, in the Bible, you see the picture of the Passover, and they paint the lamb's blood across the top, and God passes over. You see the sacrifice of a lamb early on in the Bible. You see on the Day of Atonement, you see where they're sacrificing animals, and lambs are a part of that. You see in Isaiah 53, when it's talking about the suffering servant, he calls him a lamb that is led to the slaughter speaking about Jesus. And so that's why John, in the Gospel of John, will pick it up and say, behold, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He'll show, here is the one who has sacrificed himself for us. So that's the picture of the Lamb, but this Lamb has some distinct markings. Do you see them? Look in the text there. It says, this Lamb standing as though it had been slain. So you can see that this lamb bears the marks as though it had been placed on an altar and killed. It would be marks that would show that it would have died because of these wounds. And so we see the sacrificial lamb of God, and here's how God conquers things. This is how he is victorious over stuff, is he is a sacrificing God, and that's how he declares victory. So, so the message to the persecuted Christian in the first century here, and we're looking towards today, the message to us is that the way you have victory is by willingly and joyfully laying down your life. That's how our king had victory. He willingly and joyfully laid down his life. 
And the last piece of how he has victory here, notice the, lot, the lamb's not laying down. The lamb is standing. The lamb is standing in victory in the midst of this scene of worship because he has power. Now look at the last phrase here I want to show you. Just a couple of this where it, it gets real, um, has a lot of imagery to pick up. Don't think too hard because it's hard to imagine what this would look like. But notice the lamb has seven horns and seven eyes. That's a lot of horns and eyes coming up out of your head, right? Now the horns represent power, meaning God is omnipotent. And the eyes represent the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit. Notice it defines it here and says that they are the, the seven spirits of God, which is the Holy Spirit, sent out into all the earth. So this is God's omnipresence. So his omnipotence is all power. His omnipresence, he is everywhere. And then I just want you to catch this one last part. Sorry, we're going deep through these points, but I want you to see it. We started with a lion of the tribe of Judah. We proceeded to go to a lamb. Then the lamb was slain. But then I want you to see how he ends the book of Revelation. He ends it with a lamb with seven horns, all powerful coming to render justice. Do you understand the hope is in that we have a God to return with all power to make this whole thing right? That's who Jesus is. He is our hope. Then there's this dramatic scene where now we've identified the lamb, we've said he is worthy, and look at verse seven. He went, and if you just catch it in the phrase here, he took the scroll. Jesus, the lamb of God, in the courtroom of God himself, walks over this scroll that is our hope for all the end of time, and takes the scroll. In this dramatic fashion, now the courtroom changes from despair and crying to worship. Because what we are called to do is worship the Lamb of God. That leads me to my third and final point. We live in his purpose for the end. We currently, right now, live in the purpose of God for what we're gonna do at the very end. We're gonna worship in the end, and so you know what we're gonna do today? We're gonna worship the Lamb of God today. That's what he calls us to do in this time of suffering and walking through this world, is to worship the Lamb of God. I want you to notice how the scene erupts in praise. Verse eight, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, and the 24 elders, so all 28 beings surrounding the throne, look what happened to them. They all fell down before the Lamb. So this intense moment of worship, they all fall down, responding to this Lamb of God in worship. And each are holding, they're holding a harp, which that, that will allow for music. And if you see in your, if you, if you have your Bible open there, we'll get to these in a minute. You'll see the three different things that they will say and sing. They're, they're, the, they're each of the phrases you see indented there. These will be songs to the praise of our God. But look at what else they hold. They hold a harp, and I don't, I don't wanna miss this. They're holding golden bowls full of incense, 
which are the prayers of the saints. Of a golden bowl, and there's incense, and, and they're being offered up in the courtroom, or this throne room of God, and these are the prayers of saints. Now, I, I know and believe that when you're praying to God, you need to be honest. You, you don't need to try to drum up words that don't mean anything. I think you need to be clear and genuine in your prayers with the Lord. But we don't need to treat our prayers lightly. Sometimes it's easy to think, well, my, it's just my prayers. What is, it, what is it really? Is it that big a deal what I'm saying to God right now? Is this, does God really have any sort of value on what I'm lifting to him? And, and I want you to see that what may sometimes seem like just words, you're just kind of just kind of praying them to God. Before God himself, these prayers are placed in golden bowls and offered in worship to him up to the throne room and God himself. I just want you to realize that when you're praying to God, those words are going all the way up to the ear of the God of the universe. I, I think you should be honest with him, but you need to understand, and I need to understand the weight of the words we're saying to God himself. He is hearing the prayers you speak to him. And now we see them in these golden bowls and worship before him. Then they respond in verse nine with a new song. Look, it says, and they sang a new song. Even at the end of time, I think by this point, uh, if you've listened to enough music, we've used uh, the three-chord arrangement enough times. We've made up enough songs at this point. It's hard to find a way we can have another new song that we've not heard before. But even at the very end of time, we still have a reason to sing a new song. Every single time that grace is extended to us, we have a warrant to sing a new song. It's worth singing a new song every single time God extends grace to you about the worthy nature of Jesus Christ. You see, a vision of how Christ is worthy of our worship is what we need. And here we see this lamb slain for our sins. Now, now here's what I want to do. I want to read the first of these songs, and, and then we're going to do something a little different here in a moment. So hang with me. I want you to read uh, with me right there the first of the songs. This is going to repeat some of the stuff we've already looked at. Look what they say. Look at what they say to God. Worthy are you to take the scroll. This is their declaration. They're singing about his worthiness. To open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. So this is the Lamb of God slain for our sins. But look at how it takes a step further here. These are people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And notice what the gospel does here with it. You have made them to be now part of his kingdom and his priests. So we come from all over, and now we're all a part of his kingdom. This uniting of all peoples 
before God himself. This is the purpose of his worship, is to see all people saved. So what is the hope for the nations? What is the hope for tired, worn out, persecuted, struggling believers? The hope is to worship the worthy Son of God. What's your hope today if you're not a Christian? Maybe you've never professed faith in Christ. What's your hope of anything getting any better? It's looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'd like to end a little bit different today. Because I believe what we need most is to worship the worthy son of God. So in just a moment, I'm gonna close in prayer like we normally do. When, when I close in prayer, we're gonna end the prayer and at that point, I'm gonna read the rest of this chapter. Verses 11 through verses 14. At this point, the chapter is a building where myriads upon myriads now join in this chorus of praise. And then we're gonna sing a song. There's a song that sings this chapter and allows us as a people and a church to declare the Son of God as worthy. Now, I, I want you to sing. I, I would even say that for those because I know people are watching online as well. You might be sitting in your living room at home. Sometimes it's easy maybe to just listen to the music. I'm gonna ask you all to sing today. Because our response to Revelation 5 is to sing with the host of heaven that we have a worthy Lamb of God that, it, that will open the scroll and end all our sufferings and make things right. What we need at the end of 2020 is to get a glimpse of Jesus, to see him as the worthy son of God and to worship him today. So as I pray and as we get prepared to worship, let's join in with the heavenly host to declare Christ is worthy. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus. And Lord, we pray in these moments you would open our eyes to see him. To see him in his glory. To see him as the true son of God standing amidst the heavenly host bringing him praises. Lord, may we draw comfort. May we draw strength. No matter what we face, Lord, may we look to the Lamb of God today to be our victory no matter what we face. Use these moments to be great worship for you, Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you all stand as I read the remaining verses of this chapter, beginning in verse 11. Then I looked... And, I, and around the throne I heard the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels 
They were numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands. They were saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them say, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb to be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. 